alcohol and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Podcast, Paul and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 36th episode of Polcast. In this episode, we will tell you about a Polish Canadian pianist's mission to revive the music of Holocaust silenced or exiled Polish Jewish composers. Why the Polish language sounds like one long tongue twister. Why a young Polish-Canadian cinematographer chose an unusual career path, from an international cinematography festival to making the right choices. A popular subject with our podcast listeners is the Polish language. We often hear that you want more on this topic, so here we are. Every language we don't know has sounds that our native language doesn't have. For instance, English has the sound th or th, like in the word three or that, which Polish doesn't have. Of course, Polish is full of such traps for speakers of English. Polish, as we said earlier in our program, has a simple vowel system, but a more complicated consonant system. Several Polish consonants do not exist in the English language. Here are two of them. Sh. In words like świt, siano, ślepy. English speakers pronounce this word as sh, like in English words shame, sheep, or shore. So that the Polish words sound like Schwit instead of Schwit, Schano instead of Schano, and Schleppe instead of Schleppe. The problem is that a lot of English speakers do not hear the difference. And the extra trouble is that the sound Sh does exist in Polish, and occasionally the choice between Sh and Sh changes the meanings of words. For example, Proszę means please, but proszę means piglet. The other sound is ch. Here is another consonant that doesn't exist in English. It appears in words such as brać, take, chos, a blow. English language speakers pronounce these words with the sound they have in their own language, which is ch, as in cheer, chip, or chat. So that the Polish words, which I mentioned, sound a little strange to the Polish ear. They sound like bracz, not bracz, and like chos, not chos. Again, for the English-speaking person, it may be hard to hear the difference. But, as before, the sound ch does exist in Polish. And again, the choice between ch and ch may change the meaning of words. For example, chapa which is a loser, or tapa, which is a kind of hat. Well, that's not the end of all possible problems for speakers of English. It's really, really hard when those two Polish sounds, sh and ch, come together in a cluster. 
For example, in the word teshch, which is father-in-law, or in the word vieshch, which is a rumor. Imagine the word that has both sh and the cluster, such as vshonshch, like, for example, get on a bus, pieshchich, caress, or the city of Szczecin. You don't really need tongue twisters. The regular spoken Polish is full of them. Bartosz Pawłowski, a son of a Polish cinematographer who immigrated to Canada, earned his undergraduate degree in film in Toronto and then graduated from the prestigious American Film Institute Conservatory in Hollywood, California, where he earned an MFA degree with a specialization in cinematography. I contacted Bartosz when I heard that he had just returned from Poland, where he attended, as he has done annually for a number of years, a unique international festival, Camera Image, held in Łódź. Our conversation, however, moved from the festival experience itself to something that I find very interesting and important. A career path that the young cinematographer chose and his two reasons for the choice he made, both of which are quite special. So, Bartek, you have just come back from Poland and you have attended this very, very interesting festival, one of a kind, right? Certainly. It has a very specific focus. Uh, it celebrates the work of cinematographers, which is unusual as most film festivals, they celebrate the, the work of directors and actors and producers. And it's it's a hit with a lot of people. There's a, a segment of the industry that, that appreciates this festival, and then they, they return to it year after year. The festival, when it started, it only had one main program uh, of films. Uh, basically, it was a, a narrative, narrative feature film uh, cinematography competition. A number of feature films uh, shot that year were selected uh, and were judged by by a jury of of contemporary filmmakers. And at the end of the festival, awarded uh, you know, gold, silver, and bronze uh, frogs. That, yeah, it grew from there. Like they added a number of other different programs, uh, including documentary programs, uh, student uh, edu competition. Uh, music video competition, uh, TV pilot competition. So from this one program of, uh, of films, it, it, uh, the festival has grown to include uh, a broader reach uh, of programs that, that encompass different uh, types of films that are made in the world. How, what, how, many, how many filmmakers or cinematographers are Polish and some, how many people, like roughly speaking, what's the proportion between Poles and non-Poles um, that come and present their films? Oh, I'd say it's about, about 40, 40% Polish to, to 60% international. Um, it's, got a, it's got a strong international appeal, certainly. Do you see that there is a big change or development, looking back at the number of years that you attended this festival? Do you see films are changing from the cinematography point of view? Yeah, there, there are quite a lot of changes. From films being shot on film to, to being shot digitally. There's a different uh, aesthetic, a different look to, to the visuals. And also the introduction of different programs to the festival that, that encompass uh, different formats, so, you know, TV production and, and music video production. Every year is a, a bit different, though. But despite that, uh, one thing 
that I can be rest assured is the caliber of all these projects that are selected to, to screen at the festival. The programmers of the festival just really do a good job of, of handpicking the best films of the year, and it's, it's always a treat to, to catch them in a festival environment. So does attending a festival like this translate into uh, any specific future projects? What do you get out of it? It's a funny industry where, you know, you won't get work if you just sit at home and, and don't try. So uh, it's a concentration of film professionals and different people, and you got to try your chances. Uh, you may just get lucky with meeting the right people at the right time. That would uh, lead to future projects, but um, it's a tricky thing. It's all about socializing and, 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 and politics, really. It's funny how the world becomes even smaller. Uh, this year there was uh, an award... Uh, Awarded to Adam McGoin and Paul Sarazzi, uh, they received the uh, Director Cinematographer Duo Award this year. Basically, it's an award awarded to two collaborators, a director and a cinematographer, who have a long-standing collaboration over uh, multiple projects. And their last film uh, that they did together, uh, Remember, uh, got accepted into the main competition program this year. Uh, and it was funny to seeing the, the list of credits, uh, seeing that it was produced in Ontario, uh, and seeing some familiar names of you know co-workers that I've been working with on a daily basis. Uh, some of them, I, whom I which I spent two and a half months working with this year. Um, so it's funny to see how you know these productions after they're done, they go far and wide, and, and you just never know where <laughs> they end up. Um, you know, it's from my student years where I felt like I was an outsider looking in. It feels like I'm front and center, I mean, which is, it's, it's a good feeling. It can only go up and onward from here, really. Was there anything that made special impact on you in, in this uh, 2016 edition of the festival? I was impressed with a, a film, a Polish film, actually. It was called The High, High Frontier, Na, Na Granice. And uh, it, it was a pretty well-crafted film, and it reminded me of like North American suspense uh, psychological thriller uh, type films. I've caught mostly Polish films this year. Uh, every year is a little different, so it was, it's impossible to see everything. But I saw quite a few Polish films. Um, uh, so besides the High Frontier, there was uh, Last Family, which also made, uh, made an impression on me. The festival does something that is quite unique, trying to uh, make it easier for students who obviously don't have that much money to be able to attend. They host a homestay program. The organizers of the festival pair up uh, residents of the, the city with students. Um, so students get uh, uh, free accommodation. Uh, in exchange, the, the residents get uh, tickets to, to screenings at the festival. Did you use it when you were a so student? I did. Uh, I was a, a part of that program three times as a student. Uh, yeah, it's a, a phenomenal idea. and. and it really helps. Let's talk about you. So what are you up to? I am currently a film technician um, in the uh, film industry here in Toronto, uh, specifically a, a grip working on a number of big union productions in the city, mostly TV series. And that's been keeping me busy for the past few years. It was the most immediate way to you know, make money, to pay off my, my education 
and to, to help my parents out. Now that my finances are cleared, I'm thinking about uh, getting out of just being a film technician and back to, to what it was I was trained for, to, to be shooting as a, as a cinematographer. So you chose to, to, to do this work to pay off the whole debt for your studies? Yes. I made a plan to, to work for, as a film technician for five years, which would pay off my, my education debt in full. And you did? Yeah, and I did. It's a thing of the past as of last year. Congratulations. So now what? Uh, this past year has been a matter of building up a little bit of a, a savings, so uh, in preparation for the leap into shooting again. Currently, I'm, I'm looking for, for projects to shoot. It's, uh, it's it hard finding a good script, that's for sure. We're going to probably call you back in about two years or a year to find out where you are, but congratulations on doing something that takes people forever. Thank you. Uh, you know, it uh, wasn't really living during those five years. So it was just, you know, worked in home, worked in home. And but did you, did you find those, those years were also interesting or important from the point of view of what you've learned professionally? Certainly. I mean, uh, the reason I decided to focus on gripping was the, to fortify my weakness. Um, my father got sick uh, when he survived his ruptured brain aneurysm. There was a lot. There was a big emotional roller coaster ride that I went through, and one thing that I didn't want to do was end up like him. I didn't want to be a man with two left hands. Like I wanted to uh, face my fear of of being, you know, more handy, more dexterous with with my hands, basically. You know, getting more physical as opposed to just being more cerebral. My father was more more of the artist. Uh, he, you know, it was great having conversations with him about you know the art and craft of cinematography. Working my way as a, as a grip and a grip and electric, that, that was a continuation of my studies in, in my mind to, to build up that body of experience and what I deemed to be my my weakness. And now, five years later, I uh, feel like I'm a, a half decent uh, grip among my, my peers. There's a lot more that goes into filmmaking than that's just uh, than just the camera and lights and and actors, right? It's uh, focusing more on, on the, the technical aspects, getting that hands-on experience, really. That was important for me. And uh, it's nice to have that you know, craft to, to fall back on in, in between projects, basically. And projects can arrive once a year, or it could be once every two or three years, but you know, at least I have something to keep me going in the, in the interim. Isn't it what everybody should be doing, really? Like, maybe not five years, but at least a few years. Yeah, um, and that's one of the problems these days. People are finishing schools, but they don't have the, the technical hands-on experience uh, from the ground up to be able to back that uh, artistic vision that they may have. So, you know, they may have something in their minds, but they just don't know, they can't work their way backwards and, and figure out uh, what they need to be able to achieve a certain effect or a certain photographic treatment. And having worked for, on these different big-scale uh, productions, I, I have an inside look to how other cinematographers are lighting and, and shooting from the floor, like right on the floor, seeing them in action. And it's a privileged position to be in. And I count myself blessed that I have access to this world. To learn more about the festival from which we started our conversation, as well as about Bartosz himself, please visit our website, mypolcast.com.
There are many names of Polish cities and towns that actually mean something. And this something is often quite surprising. For example, Łódź, the city of Łódź, meaning a boat. Major city in central Poland, Łódź is a Polish Hollywood where Andrzej Wajda and Roman Polanski made their first movies. It is the home of the famous Polish National Film School. Interestingly, you won't find any boats in Łódź. There is no river or lake there. Zakopane which means buried, the most popular legendary mountain resort in Poland, loved by skiers and party animals. It's buried under the snow during winter. Well, not always, depending on the weather. Częstochowa, often hidden or often hiding. A city in southern Poland is known for the famous monastery of Jasna Góra, which is the home of the Black Madonna painting. Every year, millions of pilgrims from all over the world come to Częstochowa. Somehow they find it. <laughs> Although it's often hidden or often hiding. Zielona Góra, which means Green Mountain. It's a center of wine industry in Poland. Yes, there is one. Świnoujście, Pig's Exit, the most northwest city in Poland. There are some more. Less significant places, but with funny names. For example, Piwa which means a saw. Koło, which means a wheel. Białystok, which means a white slope. Or przemyśl, which means think it over. Last week, we introduced our podcast listeners to Daniel Wnukowski, a renowned Polish-Canadian pianist based in Vienna. This is part two of my conversation with Daniel, in which he reveals his great artistic passion and mission. So you have chosen the exiled Jewish composers. Where is this coming from? How did this happen? It came from many sources, actually. Living in Vienna, Vienna is home to rather dark past, as, as uh, we know from history, World War I, World War II, especially World War II, and the interwar periods, that whole f fear, you know, Kristallnacht. Um, as I walk throughout my streets in the neighborhood of the third district where I live, there are often these little gold plaques of, of people who had, uh, you know, died during the Holocaust, uh, whether they were teachers or, or prominent Jews or, or um, excellent musicians, uh, just a big number of people who had, had perished miserably and under these horrific circumstances. You know, walking around and, and seeing this uh, can, can really get one to ask a lot of questions. The first project I had in Vienna was to perform the complete solo piano works of a exiled Austrian composer, uh, Walter Arlen, who was born in Vienna and uh, ran away um, miraculously during um, right before World War II. And his story of, you know, suicides in the family and um, the harrowing journey of, of, you know, hopping on that last available train to get out and running away through London to the States 
where he finally settled in Los Angeles, as many exiled Jewish composers did. You know, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And their message, their stories, and foremost, their incredible music that we still have, a lot of it has been lost in the Holocaust. This music can be so powerful that I, I've made it a mission to, to bring out as much of this music as I possibly can. And my first project with Walter Arlen uh, ended up with four CDs for the Austrian label Gramola. It had wonderful success, uh, very good review in the Financial Times uh, art section. And that brought just, you know, a panoply of other composers that, that are begging to be heard. Uh, world premieres. Uh, I recently did a world premiere of a work by a Polish-Jewish composer, Józef Kofler, completely unknown to the West, even in Poland, uh, where he was born. And Stry is a modern-day Ukraine village. However, in the interwar period, that was Poland. This was a wonderful, delightful, light, neoclassical piano concerto with all these humorous elements. It was absolutely a delight to play. And it is my goal in my life to help make these pieces standard repertoire for so many people because how many times can we hear that you know the same Bach can charity the same Beethoven can charity you know all the time year by year year by year with so many pianists playing them and so many recordings to choose from yet there's this hole in in the interwar World War two period of incredible music to discover and uh, finally my family also is uh, my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. He immigrated to Canada after he survived the war. And the harrowing stories I had heard of what had happened in, in some of these camps is, 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 is terrible. Um, I, I know my grandmother was often, uh, to the end of her life, experienced neurotic episodes after uh, having spent, uh, I think it was seven or eight weeks in, in um, the detention hall, waiting to hear whether she would be shipped out to a, a death camp. Your grandparents, were they of Jewish descent? Uh, yes, but of distant, distant mm -hmm. descent. So they were able to camouflage their way uh, without being, you know, uncovered. Otherwise, it would be immediate death sentence. There's a wealth to discover. And well, I, and, of course, uh, and that's and the beauty of just this. Just Polish composers, just the Polish-Jewish composers, like Shimon Locks, Karol Rathaus, Józef Kovler, Władysław Spielmann, who was perhaps one of the most more popular ones because of the pianist movie. Um, you know, his music was uh, on the border between, um, you know, light Cole Porter and, uh, you know, you won't find intricate um, expressionist inventive melodies or, or um, you know, anything of that uh, complicated stature. But, uh, but some of it can be very delightful. He, he left, for example, a mazurka I often perform at encores uh, for, uh, for many concerts. And um, it is in the mazurka in the style of Chopin. It just simply says mazurka in F minor. And when you hear it, when anybody hears it, they say, oh, that's Chopin. But it's not. And he wrote it in the style of Chopin because in the Warsaw Ghetto, where he was um, trapped in the early 40s, he had written it as uh, a work in the style of Chopin because Jews were forbidden from playing the music of Chopin. 
you're Polish. You're Polish. You speak perfect Polish, um, and of course, you perform in Poland as well. How important is that Polishness for you as well? You know, your Canadianness, Europeanness, <laughs> and Polishness. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, my parents did send me to to Polish dance classes, so I, I did have to uh, dance, you know, the the Kujawiak and the Obedek and the Mazurka. So I uh, I was brought up with these dances in in our home. It, it's a phenomenal culture. I'm I'm very happy, really proud to be a part of it. I, I love the Polish spirit. My my wife is Polish. She's from Łódź. So I uh, um, have a lot of opportunity now to to keep speaking Polish as I did with with my parents when I was growing up. It's a wonderful, incredible culture. Do you speak Polish to your daughter? I speak English to my daughter only because my wife speaks Polish, and we oh, okay. divided our roles only so that she she can develop both languages fluently. Daniel, your biggest dream. My biggest dream, if. They could invent that microchip, and I could get all the works of Bach into my mind, where I could wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and perform a cantata in a piano reduction by Bach. I, I would be very, very, very happy. I, I think there's nothing more I would need. If I were on an island and I had nothing I could take with me, it would be the music of Bach and one, and one of my, my discovered composers. As always, we encourage you to visit our website, mypodcast.com, to get more information about Daniel Vnukovsky and possibly leave your comments or feedback. You were listening to the 36th episode of Polcast. For full-length interviews, visuals, and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. We're always curious about your reactions, comments, and suggestions. Also, ideas for the news stories. Please share them on our website, mypodcast.com. Now we leave you with composition by one of the exiled Jewish composers whose work Daniel Vnuklowski is reviving and promoting, Walter Arlen's Die Letzte Blaue. Thank you for listening to Polcast.